0: There are two truths in Romans 9 that every Christian must grasp in order to properly relate and respond to God. Number one, God is over all. He is sovereign. And number two, man is under God. He is responsible. God reigns as king and man is accountable to him. Now some are going to say, Hey, what's the big deal? I mean, as long as we love people and, and share Jesus with them, what does it matter, you know, who's in charge and all that kind of stuff? We must understand God's sovereignty and man's responsibility uh, and see them in their proper perspective. Or we're going to fall into serious error. That's why it matters. If we accept God's sovereignty and reject Man's responsibility, we're going to deny that we need to do anything in the Christian life because God does it all. And if we reject God's sovereignty and accept man's responsibility, we will get enslaved to a works mentality in everything because it all depends on us. Now, some people overemphasize or underemphasize either God's sovereignty or man's responsibility, one to the exclusion of the other, and, and the result is they get out of balance. Their worship is skewed. Their relationships are affected. Their outreach is tainted by wrong beliefs about how God and man work. And so this is important stuff. This is, this is stuff. It, what Romans 9 does is it clearly illustrates the essential relationship between God and man how God initiates salvation and how man in turn responds to God. And, and we must understand God's part or our part, or we're going to assume that the Bible teaches something that it doesn't teach. Now, have you ever been to a, a movie set? Or, or to the kitchen of a restaurant, let's say, or, or backstage at a concert? Uh, when you do one of those things, when you go to one of those places, what you see is you get this behind-the-scenes glimpse of what is going on. And you wouldn't have that view unless you went back there. Now, what happens when you go backstage or back in the kitchen or, 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 or um, something like that, what you see is how decisions are made. What you see is is how things are planned out. What you see is how things get done. How what happens on the front stage, uh, in front of the curtain, uh, is played out and planned out all behind the scenes. Now, without that view, you're left to your own imagination about what goes on back there. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to to visit a, a meat company, uh, the Elm Hill Meat Company in Lenore City, Tennessee. It was it's owned by Angela's uncle Harry, and w- w- there at the Elm Hill Meat Company, they make among other things, Wampler's whole hog sausage. It's a regional favorite in the South. It's uh, the namesake of of my 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 mother-in-law's maiden name, Wampler, and uh, I got to see the entire process from from huge 500-pound hogs being led in to the building <laughs> to, to boxed, fresh sausage being trucked out to supermarkets. And it all happens within about a one-and-a-half-hour time frame. But I got to see everything. See, Romans 9 gives us a behind-the-scenes look in the best possible way at God's workings in the Christian life. You see, here's how it goes. We're making choices. We're running households and and businesses and buying groceries and responding to events and relating to people and, and making all of our choices. And all the while, God is working behind the scenes, orchestrating life in many ways study of god's sovereignty and man's responsibility showcases the goodness of god but it also showcases the neediness of man it is rooted and grounded in who god is father son and holy spirit it is centered on god's provision of a savior the lord jesus christ it is founded upon god's infallible inerrant word and we do not need to reconcile god's sovereignty and man's responsibility they are friends they are in biblical harmony they're scripturally in perfect harmony you don't need to reconcile friends so let's look at romans 9 and some of this will be reviewed since we we looked at part one two weeks ago but let's start in verse one I, i love the fact that paul shows this this emotion he shows so much emotion and so much feeling towards his people he desires so much for them to be saved he says I'm speaking the truth in Christ some would think he wasn't he says I'm not lying some would accuse him of lying but he says that his conscience bears him witness in the Holy Spirit our consciences are not trustworthy apart from the Holy Spirit he says that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart his anguish didn't stop and it was because of his kinsmen, the Jews, who had rejected Jesus. They had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was filled with so much emotion, he had so much anguish. If it was possible, he would have given up his own salvation. He said, I'd rather, I would be willing to be accursed. That means sentenced to, to hell for eternity. If only they would believe. Romans 10 one, he says brothers my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved he desired for them to be saved and he prayed to God that it would happen but I, I love the fact that Paul shows so much emotion here because there's a lot of emotion that gets generated with this topic of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and how it all fits together and we're finite and we don't we don't get the whole picture, and, and we're somewhat skewed. Every one of us is somewhat skewed in our thinking and our understanding, and, and this is tough. And, it, and so it makes sense that this, this topic generates so much emotion. Look at Paul's. It's not uncommon, by the way, for people to say, this is not fair. It's not fair. Or, or they would say, God wouldn't do that. I know what God is like, and he's loving. He would never do that. When we speak of His sovereign choice of some to salvation, people get all worked up because, well, it's not fair or or how could that be? We have the right to decide. The autonomous human will speaking speaking up and putting itself at the forefront. But this is a sensitive topic and has an element of mystery involved and and it gets cleared up right about verse 5. Because right about verse 5, He reminds us that who he's talking about that has rejected Jesus from them, according to the flesh, is the Christ. The, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God over all. That that reveals the first truth we must grasp. God is sovereign. God is over all. We got to get this straight. God is God, you are not. God is infinite and unlimited and independent in need of nothing. And no one. We are finite, limited, and dependent. We can't call the shots. We can't make up our own reality. We must bow before God and His Word. Verse 1, he, re- he started, I am telling the truth in Christ. He was in Christ. Because of Christ. I'm telling the truth in Christ. And then Christ is called God over all in verse 5 it's, it's once again a statement of, of Christ's deity and sovereignty it is the Lord Jesus Christ with whom we have to reckon no one comes to the Father except through me Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 6 Acts 4.12 says there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved but the, the name of Jesus several Acts of Uh, several facts um, about God emerge uh, in this passage of scripture verses 6 through 8 we see that God's promises are true God's word has not failed it is not as if God's word has fallen short and Paul's explanation takes him back to the backstory of God's sovereignty over human will he says in verse 6 they are not all Israel who are descended of Israel true Israel consists of children of promise In verse 8, he says that not all the children of Abraham were part of the physical people of God. Not all his children were chosen to receive the promises. It would be through Isaac. And not all were true children of Abraham through Isaac. And not all of them who came through Isaac were spiritual children of God. But God is faithful and He can be trusted. We don't don't have to worry if He's going to keep His promise or not in romans chapter 11 and verse 26 we read something that has puzzled many it says this that all israel will be saved in this way all israel will be saved as it is written the deliverer will come from zion he will banish ungodliness from jacob and this will be my covenant with them when i take away their sins but this is not going to be retroactive many jews have rejected jesus and are in hell all Israel will be saved. It's not going to go back and save them all. The idea is that not every Jew will be saved, but all the elect Jews who are alive at the end of the tribulation will come to faith in Christ. He's faithful. He can be trusted. He will be their people. Excuse me, he will be their God. They will be his people. But God's purpose is sure. We see this. The God's purpose of election is Sure beginning in verse 9 it tells us that the promise said that about this time next year uh, I will return and Sarah will have a son Sarah will have a son it's a quote of Genesis 18.10 it's referring to Isaac being born the child of promise God's purpose is sure it happened verse 11 you see a, an example of twins Jacob and Esau shows God's sovereignty in choosing not based on personal worthiness before they were born or did anything God chose Jacob solely according to his sovereign plan it wasn't because Jacob was better looking or was going to be uh, more more obedient it was according to God's sovereign choice and sovereign plan Uh, verse 13 he says Jacob I loved and this is where It gets really really hard for us It says Esau I hated Let me just say before I say anything else That you are loved by God The Bible makes that very clear You are loved by God But it says here that Jacob I loved and Esau I hated It's a quote from Malachi chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 Now let's remember when Malachi was written It was written over 1500 years After the two of them had died It was looking back at these two men and the nations that came from them, namely Israel and Edom, and that God chose one for divine blessing and the other he left to their own devices. Let them go on their way without intervening. It was all to show that God chooses who will be saved. God chooses who will be saved. It's It's the idea of election, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but it's, it's the act of God where, where before the foundation of the world, before the world began, He chose in Christ who He would save. Some Jews, some Gentiles, but not all for salvation. It's the biblical teaching that says that God chooses and knows who will be saved. And it is not that He looked down the corridor of time and knew what we would choose. It goes beyond His omniscience, His knowing. It's His sovereign choice. That of His own predetermined will, He chose us by His grace. See this in Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, every time there's a list in the Bible, we ought not say, oh, it must be in order of priority. And it must be in order of sequence. But here, we need to go there. Because this is an order of sequence, of how things happen. How Remember, we're looking behind the scenes. All a person needs to know to become a Christian is, I believe that I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell, and Jesus died for me and paid my penalty, and if I believe, I'll be saved. But this is the backstory that the Bible is explaining, and it's it's you know these these five things: this foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, glorification. They're known as the golden chain of five links in uh, in theological circles. Uh, Also, they're known as the Ordu Salutis, Latin for the order of salvation. But let me just point out two aspects that we get hung up on, that we ought not to get hung up on. First of all, he foreknew us. He foreknew us. He, He planned to save us. He initiated saving us. Now, that should be cause for praise to God. But you don't know how many Christians want to argue with that. He predetermined to choose to love us and to establish an intimate relationship with us. And and he predestined us. That he decided, what did he predestine us to? Uh, um, To be conformed to the image of his son. He he, he He decided beforehand, he marked us out, he appointed us, he determined before to do a work of grace in us. God predestines people to salvation. You never read that He predestines anyone to hell. He lets them keep going to hell. He does not intervene on their behalf. It is what is known as a divine fiat. The word fiat means decree, it's an authoritative decree of God. By the divine fiat, the authoritative decree of God, we are saved In the Latin Old Testament uh, In the translation of Genesis that You see the two words fiat lux Fiat means let there be lux light Let there be light God authoritatively decreed It was his creative decree That the world would come into existence From nothing It is his official pronouncement So by divine fiat we are Saved his official pronouncement The divine decree of God to bring about something Into existence that didn't exist before It's beyond his omniscience That he knew what we would do It is his decree of what we Would do And God's character is consistent His character Is consistent look with me at Verse 14 what shall we say Then I love Paul's Reasoning, and we see it all through the book of Romans. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? The accusation would come God is not just. God is arbitrary. Is there injustice on God? Is God arbitrary and unfair? That's the question. The answer, absolutely not. By no means. Verse 14, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And and so then, Paul says, it does not depend on human will or exertion. Not the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. What doesn't depend on man but on God? Salvation. Romans 9.16 is a quote of Exodus 33 19 That God is absolutely Sovereign and he elects Those who will be saved without going Against his other attributes He determines who gets mercy And by the way God answers To no one No one is his boss Paul gives two more examples He gives the example of Moses and Pharaoh Both sinners By the way both murderers By the way Both deserving of God's eternal wrath by the way and Moses got mercy and Pharaoh got God's judgment well how's that fair verse 17 the scripture says to Pharaoh for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in the earth God raised Pharaoh up to show his power by the way that that, that idea of raising up is a word used of God of calling up actors onto the stage of human history. Now, Pharaoh probably thought that his position and his choices and what he did was all of his free will based on that. And in reality, he was serving the greater purpose of God. And Pharaoh chose. But he was also serving the purpose of God. God says, I, 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 I harden whomever I, I will, basically. The idea is that he doesn't actively create evil. Or unbelief. He didn't do that in Pharaoh's heart. He's not the author of evil. But he withdrew all divine influence from Pharaoh, all the influences that would restrain sin. And he allowed Pharaoh's wicked heart to have its way, have a field day. He said, My my name it's, it's going to be according to my name that my name would be proclaimed in all the earth that his name when we, when we talk about God's name it's who God is in all his glory all his character all his attributes verse 19 Paul says you're going to say then you're going to say why does God still find fault if he figures everything out anyway how, how could anybody be held accountable and and the and the and the answer is he has the right as pot, as a potter does over clay to do what he wants. Verse 20 says, "Who are you to talk back to God? Who are you to talk back to God?" Now I got to tell you, this is if you've got honest questions about this, this, this is not a f- referring to you. It's not referring to me. It's a, it's re- Paul is referring and it, we can see it by the way this is constructed. He's not correcting those with honest questions about this tough teaching. He's correcting those who want to excuse their sin and unbelief by blaming God. And what he's saying is it is irrational and arrogant to question God's choices. God is free to show mercy on whomever he wants. Because he's God. And he's just and he's merciful. The judge of the whole earth will do right. Right? And by the way, if God does not punish sin, he's not being true to himself. Look with me at verse 22. The argument goes like this. What if, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory? And and, and then Paul says, even us among whom he's called. And not just Jews, but also Gentiles. We should be praising God for what we're reading right now. See, no one is treated unfairly. Everybody deserves hell. So some get the justice they deserve, and others get the mercy they don't deserve. That's why we're amazed by grace. The Father chooses, the Son redeems, the Spirit protects and he could destroy us the first time we sin God's got the right to do that he could destroy sinners the first time they sin but he patiently endures their rebellion rather than giving them what their sins deserve right away he talks about the idea that they were prepared for destruction God does not make men sinful he leaves them in the sin that they've chosen and then some are prepared beforehand for glory. It's a reference again to election. The glory reflects God's character in giving mercy and forgiveness. So this first part of Romans 9, what we see is that God is sovereign. His promises are true. His purpose is sure. And His character is consistent. That's what we see. But now let's focus on our part. We've got to focus on, now on, on, on our responsibility, on our accountability before God. Man under God. We're responsible. We're accountable to God for our our thoughts and our words and our actions. First thing you see is that our sin condemns us. Our sin condemns us. Verse 28, it says, The Lord is going to carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Why? Because of sin. Because of people spurning him and rejecting him the idea is that we are guilty and we are rebellious and we are fallen and we are dead and we are enslaved Brian uh, brought it out so clearly last week and so well the idea that we were dead in our transgressions and sins Romans three four says let God be found true but every man a liar Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous no not one 3.19 the whole world is accountable to God must answer to God Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and fall short of his glorious ideal the glory of God Ver, uh, chapter 5 verse 12 tells us that sin came in through one man that's Adam and death reigned through sin and death spread to all because all sinned we're all infected Romans chapter 10 verse 20 Isaiah is so bold as to say this I have been found by those who did not seek me I have shown myself to those who do not ask for me but of Israel he says all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people our sin condemns us and we have no one to blame but ourselves the wages of sin is death that's what we deserve and our choices matter our choices matter See, we all, we all, every day, we, we're all experiencing the posi- Either the positive and negative results of our sin All the time And we have free will Our will is free And, and you, will, you will choose of your own free will To do and to say whatever you do and say today You will, of your own free will Choose how you respond to everything that comes your way Today and tomorrow and the next day Should God keep you here every choice we make we make for a reason i mentioned a couple weeks ago you're here listening to a sermon and you have a reason for doing so you might say well i was forced to come well you're still here and you didn't walk out okay now the free will is the idea of us choosing whatever seems good to us at the moment we are free to do that we are free our will is free to choose according to our desires what we desire is what we choose we don't choose what we don't desire but the question we've got to ask even more specifically is what exactly is the will free to choose and and the answer really is whatever it wants whatever it wants the will is free to choose whatever your will is free to choose whatever it wants talk about freedom So we can choose what we desire Choose what we want Now the staunchest proponent Of God's sovereignty Even the one that maybe Overweights God's sovereignty up against human Responsibility will agree That the will is free to choose Whatever it desires There's no argument there I loved liver when I was a kid I would order it at restaurants liver and onions back in the 60s and 70s they had that at restaurants the throwaway food I realized but they, they sold it okay? now, I loved liver when I was a kid and, and I even sang in the meat market at Dixie Farms uh, this little song my bestie liver when I saw that my mom was buying liver for dinner my bestie liver and my mom, to my mom's horror her embarrassment you know, here I was this kid in a little shopping cart jumping up and down that we were going to get liver for dinner but I wanted it I desired it I also wanted sardines In mustard sauce I would eat them for lunch With crackers I wanted liver and sardines I was a weird kid Now you know why my taste in food Runs so varied but in the realm of salvation we are free to choose what we desire. What we want. But it is also true that we cannot choose what we do not desire. We cannot choose what we do not desire. The staunchest proponent of man's free will that would even upplay it and downplay God's sovereignty will agree that the will is not free to choose what it does not desire. There's no argument there. Now, I did not desire Brussels sprouts or hominy or mushrooms or beets. Now, when we talk about this in terms of what God chooses, and then and our choices under Him, a lot of people are going to assume that then God makes people choose according against their will. That God makes people choose against their will. Now, God changes our will, but He never makes us choose against our will. Now, we are free to do as we will, but we are not free to choose our nature. Our freedom stops there. The fall left human will intact insofar as we have the ability to choose and to, to, um, to, to make decisions. We do that all the time, of course. How could anyone deny that? But since our, since our minds have been darkened by sin, our desires then are centered on evil impulses apart from Christ. So we still think and we choose and we act, but we have no desire for God. Jonathan Edwards said that we still have our natural freedom, but we have lost our moral freedom. Moral freedom is the desire for righteousness. The desire was lost in the fall. We can choose what we want, but apart from God, we can't choose what is morally right. We can't just say outside of Christ, from now on, I'm going to be good, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I mean, how long does that last? before i became a christian that's what i did all the time was always trying to start over i was always trying to make resolutions to be a better person and not get in trouble so much at home and all those things when i was a kid but every attempt would fail miserably wouldn't work now some people believe that, that 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 there's kind of two classes of people. That there are some people who have this innate desire to repent and believe and be saved, all on their own. And they believe that others want to run from God and therefore get hell. The Bible teaches that everyone wants to run from God. See, our will is free to choose what it desires, but it is also enslaved to sin. Augustine said that we still have free will, but we've lost our liberty. Liberty, the royal liberty of which the Bible speaks, is the freedom to choose Christ. Until our heart is changed by the Holy Spirit, we will never choose Christ. We are in need of what is called regeneration, rebirth. It's the word used to describe being born again, the the new birth. It's what Jesus called being born again in John chapter 3. But you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without being born again, without rebirth. The big question is, well, how does that come about? And basically, it's not by our doing. Like, you read, like we read last week, it not by, as a result of works so that anyone could boast. There can be no work. So we're in need of regeneration and, and you can't enter the, the, the kingdom of God without it. And here's what regeneration is. It's the act of God by where the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to want to believe and follow, faith is a gift of God. These are things that we should praise God for, but some Christians want to argue with God about. They don't want that. How could you not want that? So here's the idea: A repentant sinner, enabled by the Holy Spirit, responds in faith to God's call to believe, to repent, believe and follow. It, it, they respond in faith to God's provision of salvation. The free gift of God. God takes the initiative according to his will and gives us the desire to want him. Remember, this is backstory. Don't explain this to everybody when you're sharing the gospel. This is what you need to know, though, as members of the family. These are the, you could call these the family secrets, but they're not so secret. They're right here in the word. Verse 24, Romans, 10, Romans 9 he, he quotes from, from, uh, from uh, verse 25. He quotes from Isaiah from Hosea, excuse me. and he says, those who were not my people, I will call my people. He's talking about something he's going to do to make them his people. They weren't his people. He's going to make them his people. And her who was not beloved, I'm going to call beloved. And the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. He's talking about those he will regenerate. And it's only going to be a remnant of, that will be saved, it says, of the sons of Israel. That's the remnant that will, that have come to faith in Christ and that will come to faith in Christ sometime in the future. Romans 10. Romans 10, and beginning of verse 8. Talks about the word of God and says that the word of God is near you and your mouth and your heart. And it's the word of faith that we proclaim and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The backstory story is, God did a work of regeneration in you to get you there. You didn't know it. All you knew is you're making decisions because you're finite. He's infinite. Makes perfect sense when you think of it in that perspective. And basically, in verse, 14, you know, verse 13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody who wants Jesus will be saved by Jesus. And, and, and they're not going to be able to call unless they believed. They can't believe unless they've heard. They can't hear unless someone preaches. That's why it says how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Because they're sent by God with a message of salvation for all who will believe. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God through the word of Christ the instrumentality of the word of God the, the gospel message of Jesus now this is unsettling for many people but the idea is that new birth is something done to us not something we do You saw it last week in Ephesians 2 you were dead and God made you alive First Peter 1 3 it says according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again he caused it. We didn't. John 1.13 says that we are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. That's unsettling for many people. But there are some things we cannot know until God chooses to reveal them. The hidden things belong to God. And then at the time that He reveals them, we, we, we can understand them. God's ways are not like our ways God's ways are higher than ours but our response reveals our condition our response reveals our condition look at verse 30 it says you were at um, uh, Romans 9 verse 30 what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it they weren't looking for it and they got it and it's righteousness by faith but Israel was looking for something. They thought it would lead to righteousness, but they did not succeed. They failed. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. They were doing it on their own, according to works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. You know who that is. It's Jesus Christ. God says, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, meaning some will stumble over him. Some will be offended by him. But the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. The Old Testament prophets predicted that Israel would reject Jesus Christ. Man's unregenerate response will always be unbelief. Our response is going to reveal our condition. We're going to respond either in faith or unbelief. God's sovereign choice of election does not cancel out human responsibility to repent and believe, trusting Christ as Savior and Lord. That's what we are called to do. But man's unregenerate response will always be unbelief. And it was exemplified in Israel's rejection of Christ through their unbelief. But the Old Testament prophets said it would happen And their unbelief is consistent with Scripture. But those who receive God's judgment, they receive it not due to something God did to them, but due to their unwillingness to be saved, to believe the gospel. Sinners are condemned for their sins, the ultimate rejection of Christ. And if we are saved, we have no one to praise but God himself verse 29 says that if the lord of hosts had not left us offspring we had become like sodom and become like gomorrah uh, incurring the judgment of god because of our sins that word lord of Hosts" is is lord of Sabaoth, and it literally means uh, the, the sovereign god it's referring to his sovereignty but we have no one to praise but god for salvation first john 4 10 tells us that in this was love not that we loved god but that he loved us sent his son as a sacrifice the propitiation for our sins verse 19 tells us that we love because he first loved us it's that's the that's that's it God first then us he loves us and then therefore we can we can love him he is previous to any movement on our part toward him any good that we're unable to do Uh, the works that he prepared beforehand that you see in Ephesians 2 he's previous to those he prepared them beforehand so that we could walk in them and he is previous to it To the implications Of a solid grasp of, ha- of God's sovereignty And man's responsibility in our life What implications are there? I want to give you quickly four implications Highlight them for you and, and, and the first is this The implication of having a solid grasp Of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility First and foremost is amazement Amazement In the presence of God Horem Deo was the rally cry of the reformers It it literally meant in the presence of or before the face of God Before the eyes of God Like Isaiah they were in awe of this holy God This majestic God who called people to himself It was that same awe that the early church displayed The great fear seized the whole church It tells us in the book of Acts That they were strengthened They were encouraged by the Holy Spirit That the church grew living in the fear of the Lord So we are to live aware, you should be living aware that you operate moment by moment in the presence of God, not knowing if in the next instance you will see him face to face. See, God uses people who fear him rather than men to transform the church and the culture. That's what the persecuted church is doing today. That's how God is using the persecuted church today. But we are in need of a healthy fear of God. There, by the way, when you contemplate these, these doctrines, these, these, these tough teachings, there is absolutely no room for pride. There is no room for a we're right and they're wrong mentality when it comes to who we are in Christ. It's only by the grace of God. And I am continually amazed by the grace of God that would call a sinner like me bound for hell into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. There's no time for arguments about it. There are reams of people dying and going to hell even as we speak. But are you amazed in the presence of Jesus? Second implication is is huge. It's assurance. Assurance. Some think they accepted God and therefore they think they have to keep on accepting God to keep themselves in the faith in order to stay a Christian. They lack assurance. They think it depends on them. Us coming to faith in Christ is a sovereign work of God. The basis of our assurance of salvation lies in God alone. The gospel calls sinners to repent and believe, follow Jesus. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, then he gave the right to become children of God. To receive means to acknowledge him as who, who he is and to place your faith in him and to yield your allegiance to him and he gave them the right to become the children of God to receive the gift of salvation the amazing thing is that God accepts us not that we accept him again we cannot love him on our own we love because he first loved us and we are accepted because the father accepts us in Christ clothed with the righteousness of Christ the only righteousness acceptable to the father the cross is why we are accepted so do you have assurance of salvation? Do you think salvation is based upon you or upon God? The third implication is appropriate living. Appropriate living. 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 1, speaks and, and really gives, a, gives a, uh, a good balance of seeing God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. It says he's writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, verse 3 says his divine power is granted to us all things pertain to life and godliness so they've already been granted to us but it says in verse 5 for this very reason make every effort make every effort make choices to supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and godliness it says in verse 10 be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure if you practice these qualities you will never fall The idea is, you want to keep wanting Jesus, and it's because of Jesus, but you want to engage and choose to follow, to appropriately live. I'll tell you, if you understand God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, it will affect how you understand God's grace. God's grace. We're we're around the word grace a lot here at Grace Church, and so it's easy to be somewhat insensitive to what that word might mean. Grace is operating... God operating in love towards us It is his self-determined kindness toward us Paul's rule in life was uh, By the grace of God I am what I am And I I don't want to frustrate the grace of God He knew he did not determine his destiny Or his standing in Christ God did And so gospel change people Know that their standing with God Is solely due to his working The decision is God's One that he is not obligated to make In anyone's case and by grace, he freely shows us love in contrast to our merit and actually in defiance. In defiance of our unworthiness. But it inspires, I'll tell you, appropriate living with the, these two doctrines held in balance inspires Christian service. The Bible tells us don't neglect the spiritual gift that has been given to you. God gives gifts to build up his church. And our responsibility is to use them for his glory. If you're sitting there with the gift unused, you're not obeying God trust god you're just gonna sit there and go oh god's sovereign he's just gonna use my gift uh you know just without me moving uh-uh no no you've got to get engaged uh he 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 wants and and chooses you to, to be an instrument of his grace an instrument of righteousness for others good he wants you to be a conduit of his grace but you gotta you gotta be moving but I'm, let me ask you the question is are your beliefs biblically uh based or emotionally driven and are you engaged in active gospel living and serving? Last thing. The last implication is anticipation. Anticipation. You know, he's praying in Romans 10.1, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. You look at Romans chapters 12 through 16, it's all about living in Christ based upon Romans chapters 1 through 11. So, so the, the idea of anticipation is, what, what's next, Lord? What's next? And, the, and the, the ultimate anticipation is, come, Lord Jesus. Revelation 22, come, Lord Jesus. So let me ask you the question. Are you living with an attitude that says, I can't wait to see what God has in store next? I can't wait to see what God will do next attitude? Or are you so wrapped up in your stuff that your spiritual sight is clouded and confused and you're only thinking about yourself? Are you ready and willing to roll up your sleeves with the people of God and do something for the kingdom with the people of God? A, a, a solid grasp of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man will drive us to that. to This anticipation and God will make us able. My two oldest kids, Alexandra and Michael, are cross-country runners. They run scores of miles in preparation for races that are in the future. And and in the preparation there is some benefit There is some good that comes out I mean uh, there's a present reward They're in great physical shape But the ultimate prize which they seek Is not just being in good shape They're running for a prize They're running, to, they're running for a reason If they do not give their best effort They are going to experience some sort of loss today In terms of uh, In shapeness uh, And also when race day comes But it's like what Christians do daily In preparation for eternity We will be with Jesus Forever in heaven But while we live here We are to live fully engaged As unto the Lord That's God's calling on us And it's our responsibility to be engaged Under God As unto him Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this Work out your salvation with fear and trembling Don't work for it, work it out For it is God who is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. The idea is work hard, knowing it is God who is at work in you. Jim Elliot said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And whatever good you're able to do, it's going to be due to him. The desire will be from him. The ability to act upon the desire is from him. The reward is from him. So we can live with faith in God's sovereignty today with total confidence in God. That he will use you for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you for these deep truths. We thank you for these awe-inspiring truths. And we thank you for the amazement that you generate uh, in us because of your grace and, 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 and the assurance you give us that that we, if we come to you, we're never going to be cast out by you. That we are safe and secure in your, you. We don't have to worry about that. We can just live appropriately in your presence. Anticipating heaven, but also anticipating what's next. What's next today. Lord, use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.